There was a time when climate change denial was one of the biggest threats to our planet, but we've traded denial for feeling doomed, says renowned climate scientist Professor Michael Mann. He says there are forces weaponizing our despair and encouraging inaction. He believes the way forward is written in our past and the knowledge we have about how Earth has responded to other climate upheavals. And he sets aside doom to remind us how remarkably resilient our planet can be if only we do our part to avert disaster too. His new book is called Our Fragile Moment, How Lessons from Earth's Past Can Help Us Survive the Climate Crisis. And Professor Michael Mann joins me now. Hi. Uh, Hi, Jesse. It's good to be with you. Nice to chat to you. What makes this in particular such a fragile moment? Well, you know, we are sort of at the precipice right now. Um, We developed this, you know, global civilization that we have, um, 8 billion plus people on the planet, based on the development of infrastructure that was built for a climate that was very stable for thousands of years, but we are now leaving that sort of envelope of stability, rapidly warming the planet through our continued burning of fossil fuels and the increase in carbon pollution. And and that's what makes it such a fragile moment because we will very soon leave that sort of window or envelope of adaptive capacity that we have um, us as a civilization and uh, our our world writ large. In a way, you could say that humans wouldn't even be here if it weren't for climate change, right? Yeah, that's sort of the irony here. Um, There are various accidents and episodes uh, as we look back over the billions of years that sort of led us to be here in this moment in the first place. Uh, the you know, asteroid that killed off the dinosaurs, or we sometimes say the non-avian dinosaurs because birds are technically <laughs> dinosaurs. We see them every day. But the asteroid 66 million years ago that killed off the dinosaurs created a niche for small mammals that eventually grew into primates and evolved into homo sapiens, human beings. And there were all of these accidents uh, along the way, climate-related accidents, um, not just that asteroid impact, but there was a rapid warming event called the PETM um, 60, uh, 56 million years ago that made the planet so hot that it uh, developed a whole new type of arboreal mammal, uh, primates, and the primates gave way to hominids and eventually human beings. And so climate change, natural climate change, sort of helped create, you know, this moment that we're in, uh, gave rise to our species in the first place. But those changes happened thousands of times more slowly than the changes that we are creating today. And that's the real issue. It isn't how warm the planet is, or what levels of carbon dioxide uh, exist in the atmosphere. It's how quickly we are increasing those levels and warming the planet. And and we and, and other living things don't, you know, there's no precedent for the rate at which uh, we are being now asked to adapt. And by the way, off the topic of your book for a moment, but um, we're seeing some pretty terrifying graphs over the last few weeks. The average global temperature way off the charts, the ocean temperature way off the charts. Is that happening faster than you expected or is that about what you expected? Yeah, you know, there are these extreme events that we're seeing um, and uh, New Zealand has certainly seen a whole bunch of them. Um, 
you know, uh, psych the you know uh, the cyclone, yeah. um, you know, earlier this year uh, that um, uh, Gabrielle that uh, led, I think it was the most damage ever done by a cyclone in the southern hemisphere, uh, eight billion dollars worth of damage. We're seeing the devastating consequences of climate change now. The warming of the planet is actually right in line with what climate modelers predicted decades ago. You huh. could say it's a success story, except it's not the sort of success that we wanted to, to see. You know, we, we don't want to see our predictions come true. But the predictions were that the planet would warm pretty much as much as it has, given continued burning of fossil fuels, given sort of the pathway that we've uh, ultimately followed with continued fossil fuel burning, but some of the impacts of that warming are exceeding what we predicted decades ago. And there are processes that um, are involved in the way that climate change impacts uh, weather events um, and gives rise to these uh, very extreme weather events that aren't perfectly captured in the models. And the increase in sea level due to the melting of ice is exceeding those early projections. And again, it's because there are processes that we can see are important in the real world that weren't well captured in our models. So when you hear critics say, you know, there's uncertainty, so we shouldn't act, it's just the opposite. If anything, uncertainty has broken against us. Some of these impacts are happening faster and the magnitude is greater than what we predicted. It's a reason for even more concerted action. Uh, we've got an election campaign underway here and a lot of us are surprised by the lack of urgency being demonstrated by, by political leaders. In a debate the other night, the two men vying to be Prime Minister were asked what they do, what they personally do um, to fight climate change. They both answered recycling. Um, that lack of urgency, that seems to be part of the plan, right? We talked to you a couple of years ago about the new climate war, how denial is fading and, and efforts are being poured into encouraging inaction. Can you see yeah. that tactic impacting the sense of urgency and agency among ordinary people? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I'll draw upon an example. In the book, I talk in some detail about the asteroid that struck the planet 66 a million years ago, killing off the dinosaurs. And, it, and what it did, it created a giant dust storm that blocked out the sunlight and rapidly cooled down the planet. And anything larger than basically a dog um, that couldn't bear, burrow in the ground and escape from the cooling perished. Uh, so the dinosaurs couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't see the asteroid coming. And even if they could, there was nothing they could have done about it. They had no agency. That's the difference. We do have agency. We can take the actions necessary, but only if we elect politicians, policymakers, and governments who are willing to do what's necessary. And, you know, in less than a week in New Zealand, you have a, an opportunity to exercise that agency, to turn out and vote, and vote for candidates who are willing to prioritize the defining challenge of our time in New Zealand, in the United States, and around the world, that defining challenge being the climate crisis. I'm talking to Professor Michael Mann. His book is called Our Fragile Moments, How Lessons from Earth's Past Can Help Us Survive the Climate Crisis. So let's go into the past and why? Why take a look back at climate change over our four billion year history? Why is now the moment to do that? Yeah, you know, um, Jesse, as you originally sort of, you know, you, you talked about, you know, this doomism, um, this idea that's too late to do anything. And this is something that 
I was encountering quite a bit. And I, and I talk about that in the last book. But what was so interesting was that some of the doomism was based on a misrepresentation of what the past actually tells us about climate. And it's sort of ironic because in the past, normally the science has been misrepresented by climate change deniers who support an action, a policy of inaction, polluters and those um, you know, promoting an agenda of continued fossil fuel reliance. Here, I was seeing instead a doomism, sort of uh, weaponized science, misrepresentations of the science to promote a, a narrative of, of doom and despair. And, and sometimes it was pretty clear that that was being weaponized by bad actors, by polluters who recognize it doesn't matter whether you deny climate change is real or you deny that we can do anything about it. In either case, it potentially leads to disengagement. And so I wanted to actually go back and look at what lessons the Palu climate record really does teach us past mass extinction events, for example, because if you look at what happened, uh, it doesn't support, for example, the idea that we are experiencing runaway warming um, from methane that has been released from the permafrost. And there are people who insist that it's too late to do anything. Um, the planet is going to continue to warm no matter what we do because of this runaway process. That's not happening. But what they say is it's just like what happened, for example, during that so-called PETM event or the end Permian extinction 250 million years ago. So I decided let's go back and look at what actually really did happen with those events. And, and they did not represent uh, some sort of runaway warming scenario, uh, a runaway increase in methane. Turns out the planet warmed up because of an increase in carbon dioxide, not from fossil fuel burning, but in that case, from uh, episodes of extreme volcanism and large amounts of carbon escaping through volcanoes. And so the cause of those events was the addition of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. And we can do something, we can stop the continued addition today of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere if we stop burning fossil fuels. So the message there is one of agency. The warming is caused by us. And if we act, we can prevent crossing uh, some of those very dangerous thresholds. Yeah. And you write that climate change isn't a cliff that we go off. It's not a binary success or failure. Is that a media construct, this idea of a cliff, rather than some of the nuance involved? Well, you know, we love to blame the media for everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and I'm not going to do that here because I think some of us in the scientific community probably sort of wrongly sort of framed the problem in those terms because of the way we described, we talk so much about 1.5 degrees Celsius warming, mm. you, know, you know, here in the United States, we're still stuck in Fahrenheit. That's about three degrees Fahrenheit, but 1.5 degrees Celsius warming. We always talk about that number because it is a number we're getting close to. And if we go beyond things will get a lot worse, but here's the thing, every fraction of a degree matters. And if we miss the 1.5 C exit, we don't give up. It's not the end of the world. We go for the 1.6 C exit. And if we miss that, we still go for the 1.7 C exit. Mm -hmm. The further down that uh, that highway we go, the more danger we encounter. And that's how it works. It's not a cliff. It's more like a minefield. And we want to stop that forward lurch out into the minefield. That means decarbonizing our uh, economy as quickly as possible, getting off fossil fuels as quickly as possible.
You have been compared, uh, positively compared to Carl Sagan um, sending out a warning, and, and his warning was about nuclear winter, and that was during the arms race of the 1980s. Now, there were attempts to discredit him. Is history repeating itself, um, as it has a tendency to do, of course? Well, it's very kind to, you know, even be mentioned in the same sentence as Carl Sagan. Of course, he was one of my heroes, um, one of my uh, role models, uh, and there never will be another Carl Sagan, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but he was really the first scientist, um, at least in my lifetime, that I recall, um, to really recognize the importance of using the platform that he had as a leading scientist and as a very skilled uh, communicator to inform us about the threats that we face. And uh, what I'm sad about uh, is um, in one of his last works, uh, The Demon Haunted World, uh, back in 19, I think it was published in 96, um, 97, um, he, he warned of a future. Um, and, I, and I forget the exact quote, you, you can look it up, but it is this um, remark, almost hauntingly prescient quote where he talks about a future where people, technology has progressed to the point where people can't really understand it and they fall victim to demagogues who are willing to weaponize that ignorance, um, that lack of understanding of technology and the lack of understanding of the threats um, that it is creating. And so in a very real sense, he foresaw the path that we've gone down. Uh, and we now live in a world where, at least in the United States, and I think you see some of that, frankly, down under, you see some of that in New Zealand, um, a world where you know elite opinion is attacked because it's inconvenient to powerful special interests and science is attacked, whether it's the science of uh, COVID-19 and, and the need for vaccines or the science of climate change, because it's inconvenient to some very powerful vested interests who have worked together with politicians to sort of, again, weaponize ignorance. And I think that is part, what, part of what makes this moment so fragile. Yes, I'm talking about where we are in the climate, but I'm also talking about where we are in sort of the global political climate. Uh, will we allow ourselves to fall victims to misinformation and, 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 and darkness? Or will we, you know, recognize you know the light that is provided by science and 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 follow the path that is dictated by what science has to say about these these risks we face um it's a crucial juncture we we have to make a decision um in new zealand in less than a week you're going to make that decision what sort of government do you want representing you <laughs> i wonder if the debate and the discourse uh, around climate change needs to be a bit goldilocks as well not not too much doomsday but not too much naivety yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a great point. Another mentor uh, of mine uh, who's no longer with us, um, one of my role models was the great climate scientist Steve Schneider. And, and Steve was sort of full of these pithy aphorisms. Uh, and among them was, the truth is bad enough. He would say the truth is bad enough. We don't have to exaggerate the science um, to uh, to make the case for urgency. That case is being made in the devastating extreme weather events, the floods you're seeing in New Zealand, the extreme weather events we're seeing here in the United States, that the science objectively makes that case for us now. We don't need to exaggerate it. We don't need to wrongly depict, you know, sort of narratives of doom and gloom that potentially make it sound 
like it's too late to do anything because the science doesn't say that. The science says that as soon as we stop adding carbon pollution to the atmosphere, the planet will stop warming up. Hmm. Well, like all great scientists, in moments of doubt, you ask, what would Sting do? Uh, I wasn't expecting to see a song by the police referenced in your book, but there it is, walking in your footsteps <laughs> from the album Synchronicity. Yeah, it was, it, it, you know, I mean, it, I'd say fun, you know, talking about the end of the world, as we know, <laughs> it, it isn't a fun scenario. But there are some really interesting cultural references that tie into sort of my youth. And uh, I was, you know, I used to listen to the police and their album Synchronicity was a huge breakthrough album. And there's so much depth to it, actually. The song Walking in Your Footsteps is a cautionary tale about the nuclear winter that Carl Sagan had warned of in the early 1980s and had drawn the analogy with the asteroid that uh, killed the dinosaurs. We were creating the same threat through the escalating arms race and the threat of a, a global thermonuclear war, which would create an event like what killed off the dinosaurs, a nuclear winter. And, and it turns out that the song was far more prescient than I think the police even realized because they actually wrote it before Sagan and others had popularized nuclear winter. So they were really talking about just sort of the physical devastation and the uh, radiation. Mm -hmm. That's the analogy that they were thinking about with the uh, demise of the dinosaurs. But it turns out the connection was much deeper because it was one of uh, a climate event, a nuclear winter um, as in essence, an asteroid-driven winter that killed off the dinosaurs in a nuclear winter that threatened us. And what's also interesting is the title of the uh, song, Synchronicity. It's a Jungian concept about, you know, ca causally disconnected events, uh, events that are disconnected in space and time and have no causal connection, and yet are somehow meaningfully related. And of course, the demise of the dinosaurs and the threat in the 1980s of uh, nuclear war um, was just such one, uh, uh, one of those examples of synchronicity, the title of the album. Um, there's some resonance today with Russia recently threatening to deploy uh, tactical nuclear arms in their, uh, in their uh, aggression against uh, Ukraine and their war on Ukraine. All of a sudden now we're realizing that um, there still is this threat of uh, nuclear war, uh, something we thought had gone away, hasn't gone away. And so the resonance of that event really lives on as we today face once again the prospects of uh, renewed nuclear tensions. So for people listening who are feeling angry, what you call justified righteous anger, how should we direct that anger and what, what should we be asking decision makers to do, as you say? on the eve of a general election, the last chance we'll have uh, to ask them to do anything for another three years. Yeah, I mean, you know, righteous anger is is righteous, right? It, it's, it's anger with a purpose. And, and if you can funnel that energy, and there's some polling that suggests that um, unlike, say, um, doom and despair, which can be lead to disengagement, Righteous anger uh, can lead to action. And we sort of see that in today in the youth climate movement and the global youth climate movement, um, Greta Thunberg and, and other youth uh, uh, pro, uh, protesters. Um, there's an anger there, but it's a righteous anger. It's a, it's a deserved anger. And, and what they're doing is they're funneling it, um, funneling it into action. 
action that demands accountability, that account that demands accountability from opinion leaders, policymakers. Um, that's what we need. We need accountability. Um, and we have opportunities to instill accountability by turning up at the polls and voting for politicians who will actually do something for us, our children and grandchildren, by acting on this defining crisis. And, and, and so there's a real opportunity um, to sort of to, to funnel that, that anger in a productive way by turning out and voting for politicians who will do right by us and our children and grandchildren uh, by favoring, you know, in, in the case of New Zealand, uh, we need to continue those policies, the climate policies, not back out away from them. Uh, and uh, we need to do more. We need to see even greater commitments to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, we can't walk away from our commitments. And so it's a stark choice that you have before you in less than a week um, to elect a government who will continue down the road of, of climate action and engage with the rest of the world because we need the world to work together to solve this problem. Or you know, the other choice, uh, of course, to back away from um, the, the the commitments that New Zealand has made and 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 a path, frankly, towards darkness rather than towards light. Thank you so much for the energy that you put into this, Michael. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you for the optimism, but also the um, the realism. The book is called Our Fragile Moment, How Lessons from Earth's Past Can Help Us Survive the Climate Crisis. And I've been speaking to Professor Michael Mann. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Jesse. It was great talking with you.